of the Survival Podcast, and um, as always, after a, a long break, it's good to be back. It also means that having not done a live show now for about two weeks, full two, a full two weeks, I might have a little bit of timing off today or something like that, so if I do, I'll apologize in advance, but I wanted to come out in uh, 2023. Uh, 2023, that just sounds weird, doesn't it? Uh, swinging right for the fences from the beginning about the reality of what we're about to endure. And I, I really say continue to endure. Uh, as you might have noticed, the, the title of today's episode is 2023 and the coming shitstorm of opportunity. Let me tell you how we got that title. So uh, I went on Twitter and I set up a poll. And I said, what should I call the first new episode of the year, right? Should we call it the coming shitstorm or the a great opportunity? And the opportunity won one. And I'll admit, when I first came up with the idea for the title, I know when I go doom and gloom with the title, more of you guys show up, especially to the live feed. Like, the downloads are pretty consistent on the audio podcast, which has always had more, way more people than the videos ever, ever garner. Um, but definitely I get more people when I go a little dark with the title. But as I thought about it, I said, you know, the great opportunity won by a landslide, like no political election would ever win by in our, our divided world today. And I thought, I still have to say it's going to be a shitstorm. And the reason I have to say it's a shitstorm is because I've been doing this for 14 and a half years now. That sounds crazy. But that's how long I've been doing this. And I've always been honest with you. And I've been honest with you about what I think is going to happen. And I probably bat about 850 to 900 with that, which I think is pretty damn good. And when I'm wrong, I'm like, I'm wrong. And here's why I think I was wrong. And I'm sorry. And so to come out of this like it's all roses as the first new show of the year. January 2nd, 2023, would be, well, it would be BS that you don't expect from me. And so I decided to include the word, and if it gets more people to show up, great. Uh, but it's not there because of that. It's there because we're going to talk about some stuff today. I'll put it this way. John Pugliano spoke at my workshop in November last year. Sounds crazy. Uh, a couple months ago. And... Some of the stuff he forecasted as far as uh, recession seemed pretty dark. And I, I said to some people that were talking about it, if I did that presentation, you'd have been in the fetal position on the floor with your thumb in your mouth because you would have been like, holy shit, it's way worse than I thought. But John and I actually agree about the opportunity side of it. Here's the thing. When you tell people there's going to be a lot of opportunity, you're also saying if you're prepared, if you have a significant cash reserve. If you have a low debt ratio, if you're living in a place that's paid for or, you know, you can pay for it and you don't plan on moving anytime soon. A lot of this is just going to be like, well, whatever. Do you have a job? What kind of job? In what sector? In what state? In doing what things? Because if the Fed gets everything right, as I'm about to explain to you, four to six million Americans will lose their job in the next year to year and a half. That's the plan. That's not my plan. That's not what I'm saying. That's what the Fed is doing. 
They're like, we have way too much inflation. Everything's way overheated. It's a great economy. It's too good. We got to make it worse. Yeah, really. So we'll talk about all of that and more in just a minute. I wanted to give you uh, some some stuff that's going on. One is a sponsor of the day thing. We'll go ahead and get that up on the screen now. I will be speaking at the Greater Reset 4 in Bastrop, Texas, run by John Bush and Live Free Academy. And that will be on the 18th, 19th, 20th, 21st, and 22nd of January. So just a few weeks away. This is really cool. There's going to be some awesome people there. Mark Moss, who I've had on the show, really great guy, really switched on. Texas Slim, you guys have heard him on my show. I've been on his show. He'll be there. Dr. Ken Berry, very well known to this audience. Sean Hawkins and Zuby. Who's Zuby? Zuby's a really cool rap artist. Now, I'm not that huge in a rap, but what I love about Zuby is the guy is a thinker and he's a freedom advocate. Huge following, like over a million followers on Twitter. He's actually going to be performing there. Now, I'm going to be speaking on the 19th. And I don't know exactly what days I will be there. This is mid-January. I have, of course, my little farm here. I've got all these aquatic systems and all. And, you know, my wife has to take care of everything when I'm gone. So as I get closer and see the weather, I will absolutely be there to speak. But I'm going to try to stay through the 21st and leave like the afternoon of the 21st. But it's going to be dependent on the weather and uh, what have you. And, you know, the people I can get to kind of like take care of my stuff when I'm gone if we have a deep freeze, they have their own problems. So I'm going to work with it. But you guys really want to check this out. And there's something cool going on. There's Zuby right there at the top, right? Um, just amazing speakers. And I'm really kind of honored when I get down here to where the speakers are. You'll see uh, where they show all the speakers. John, John put me at the top of the list there. I don't know if I really belong there with these other folks, given uh, the people that will be speaking. There will also be some people coming in and speaking um, – Virtually, because they can't get to the location, Derek Bros, Del Bigtree, Tom Woods, uh, and, and several other folks. It's going to be awesome, and you don't want to miss it, but this is the really cool thing. Fortunately, I'm back today, because at midnight tonight, what I'm about to tell you goes away. So if you buy a ticket to come to Bastrop for this event today, and just select the option that says, I want an extra ticket for free, you get to buy one, get one free, that goes away today. So if you want to come and you're going to come, I would do it today, and I would get the extra ticket because then maybe you can hook up with somebody who didn't get one and offer to take them with you. Maybe they cover your gas, you split a room or something like that. They take care of the room side. I don't know. Maybe sell for 100 bucks, but I, I'd take a shot at it. Next up, what if you want to come meet me and you can't get to Bastrop, Texas, or something like that, and you want to learn more about permaculture and, and things like that? I'm doing a half-day workshop at my farm here at Nine Mile Farm, and it will be on the 14th, which is next Saturday. We're going to do composting the way that I've adapted for the Johnson Sioux bioreactor composting. It's way simpler. It's way easier. It's not much work. The work we're going to do, I did myself last year completely alone in less than six hours. So if we have like six people, it's about an hour of work. Uh, so we're also going to do some touring of a couple of my systems and meet some other people. Badass barbecue. I'm charging 20 bucks. For people to come to this, if you want to come, all you got to do is send me an email, jack at the survivalpodcast.com, and put TSPC compost in the subject line, and I'll get information back to you on this. Since it's only a $20 thing, it's only a half day, I'm not taking deposits. You don't have to pay in advance. I am limited to 12 people. It should be really cool, and it's a great chance to meet some other TSPers in the local Dallas-Fort Worth area. 
I'll never tell somebody, hey, you're not allowed to drive in from out of state or something like that. But I do these occasionally with local people mostly in mind because, you know, it's a half-day event, no camping out, none of that stuff. So uh, I'll probably run about 10 to 2 next Saturday, and I would love to have anybody from this audience come out and hang out. All you got to do is email me uh, with that TSPC compost in the subject line, and we will get right to it. All right, let's go ahead and get into Before the Light the darkness, right? If you're going to have light come into something, it will destroy the darkness. And it's important to understand how dark some of the, the darkness is going to be. Let's talk about how we got here. How do we get to this precipice that we're looking at now that I say is actually really, really dark? Well, I do bat pretty well with my predictions. Again, I get some wrong. Sometimes I get the what right, the exact how, not exactly right. But I'm, I, I try not to be a guy that's big on, see, I told you so. I, I think you kind of sound like a, a jackass when you do that. But in this case, I told you that the piece that, uh, the, the, the piece that, that's, that's going to lead it all and everybody's accepting is happening right now was going to happen. I didn't just do it on the air. I did it in an article, and I wrote it in 2020. In fact, I wrote it on July 13th, 2020, and there it is right there on your screen if you're in the live feed, The Coming Economic Crash Part 1 Real Estate. Now, I'm not going to be, you know, keep going over that, but if you want to read the article, there's a link in the audio notes that will be available just a bit uh, after the, uh, the live stream ends. And so I said this was going to happen, and it's playing out exactly the way I said it was going to happen. And let's take a little look at the history of the last 10 years that we all lived through. And then you, when you look at it that way, it'll be very hard for you to ask me how I knew it was going to happen. Because you'll say, well, obviously it was going to happen. And that's the thing about this. A lot of these things that people on TV, that pundits, et cetera, tell you are, well, who could have seen it coming? It's obvious. When I started this show, I started it in mid-2008, and within a month, I was like, get out of the stock market. This is bad shit. Here it comes. And everybody's like, well, how did you know? And it was like, well, look at what, look where we were when I said it, and look back in, in the past from that point with honesty instead of like through some sort of filtered lenses, and I don't know what you would think could happen otherwise, Right. And somebody threw me a big super chat there. I want to say thank you. Oh, SOE, John, John Willis from SOE Tactical Gear. Uh, thanks for the super chat, John. I, I missed that one, and I want to make sure that I, I said so. Anyway, um, got a little focus problem there, don't we? Anyway, uh, let me try something here real quick for you guys in the feed. That'll probably fix it. No, it's blurry. You'll have to deal with it until the camera fixes itself. Anyway... Going back in time a little bit here, we came out of the 08-09 recession. And I would say before we even came out of the 08-09 recession, we had the Fed decide something has to be done. And instead of letting markets fix themselves, which is generally the best thing that you can do, the Fed came in and said, hey, we're going to we're going to take care of business. We're going to we're going to fix things here. And in doing so, 
they did the only thing that they had in their arsenal. They cut interest rates for interbank lending, which affects the, the rate that everybody pays for credit. The lower that goes, the less money you pay for money. And the higher it goes, the more you pay, whether you're borrowing to buy a car, a house, anything like that. It just doesn't matter. I'm doing what I can on the camera, guys. That's got it. Anyway, um, and so they cut rates to the bone. And then what else did they do? They, t they absorbed everybody's losses, printed money to cover it. Okay. And, and then from that point on, you could only go in one direction. All you could do is keep cutting rates lower and do more and more buybacks of toxic debt and basically bail out the banks. Now, why would the Fed bail out the banks? Well, the Fed is the banks. Never forget that because there's a, a key component going to come into this in a second. The Fed is the banks. So when the Fed earns an interest rate, they earn a profit. What they end up doing is they send it to the Treasury. They're a nonprofit operation. But they're fueling their own interests. They're basically overseeing the economics. They're the most powerful economic organization in the world. Nobody has more impact on the global economy than the United States Federal Reserve. And, of course, they profit from it at the bank level. Thanks for the super chat, Chris. Um, and so they, they kept doing this. And... They drove interest rates so low that some people right now are sitting on mortgages with like a 2.6, 2.7% interest rate. If you hit it just right, I have an interest rate of 2.79% on my home. And this was done for so long. We had interest rates somewhere between, let's say, 2.7 and 4.5%. A lot of people that are in houses now weren't before that started. They have bought their first or even their second home during this period. And in their minds, this is normal. This is where interest rates should be. This is, this is the, what a mortgage should cost you. The problem is, historically, that's not the case. Historically, with some aberrations, really, really high, like 18% in the early 80s, okay? Interest rates have generally been in the 5 to 8% range, for the, if you are 40 or older for most of your life, if you look back, you'll see that interest rates were in that range, which makes sense when you think about the utility of money and what you're asking for. I want you to think about it this way. Let's say you were worth 50 million bucks. You got $50 million free and clear, and you're looking to invest some of your money. And I'm your favorite nephew. And I come to you and I'm like, Uncle Money Bucks, I would like to buy a house. And you go, well, good on you. Go buy one. You say, I, I want to borrow the money from you. I'd rather pay you interest in the bank. And you're like, hmm, you know, I, I like my nephew, Jack. He's a pretty nice guy. I think he's good for the money. And you go, hey, will you sign over the, the, the house as collateral so that if you fail to pay, I take the house? And I go, of course I will. And then you go, well, how much is the house? And I say, it's $300,000. You got 50 million bucks. So you can write this check tomorrow. And you say, well, what do I get out of it? What do I get out of this, uh, uh, nephew Jack? How, what kind of interest rate do you want to pay me? And I say 2.7%. Are you not telling me to sod the hell off? Why would you tie up your capital for 30 years? And since you're an older uncle, you might kick off and die while this is going on for three for less than 3% interest rates. Well, you wouldn't. You can't have a system 
you can't have a system that loans money at stupid low rates like this for this long, no matter how secure, because people actually fail to pay their debts on mortgages. There's foreclosures all the time, but it is collateralized by real property. So it's one of the more secure bets you can make with your money. But nobody wants to tie up capital for 30 years to earn 3% unless you're in a fake monetary system. And that's where all this manipulation came from. And then right into all of this, and this is when I wrote my article in 2020, came COVIDs. Now, we already had artificially low rates. Now, what does an artificially low rate do to the cost of housing? It jacks it up because people are stupid. And I mean that. In general, people as a group are stupid and they're easily manipulated. So I'm going to ask you if you've ever done it yourself, maybe you're willing to admit it, but have you ever heard anybody do it even if you haven't done it yourself? They are a homeowner. They have a mortgage. It is their house. They own it. And they refer to their mortgage payment as rent. A good friend of mine named Brad did this years ago. And I remember going, what are you talking about your rent? You have a house. He goes, yeah, that's just what I call it. And I was young, so I kind of wrote it off. But it stuck with me. And I've heard it. And I've heard people that are 50 years old recently refer to their house payment as rent. And it shows you the stupidity. Because the stupidity lies in not caring about the price, only the cost. And what I mean is when somebody buys a house, they don't say, I can afford to buy a $300,000 house or a $200,000 house, or I shouldn't pay more than one hundred seventy-five or two hundred seventy-five or half a million or whatever it is. What they do is they go to a mortgage lender and say, what can I borrow and what will it cost me on a, on a, on a monthly basis? They estimate their taxes and insurance and all that. And they come up with a number. And this is if they're totally responsible. The irresponsible just go, well, I said I can have half a million. That's my budget. Eh, well, you can get the money, but can you service that? But if they're responsible even, all they say is 1500 a month? Yeah, I can afford that. And that means as long as you can keep the payment in the target zone of the buyer, no matter how artificially stupid, inflated the underlying cost of the real estate is, people will buy it. So we had this period of more than a decade of this cheap ass money and overall easy credit, and it slammed into COVIDs. And when COVIDs happened, we had even more cheap money, more cheap money. And one way to look at the cheap money is the one thing that you had to do, unless you had like a VA loan where you could go zero down or some other creative financing, is you had to come up with at least a 3% down payment plus your closing costs. But then the government not only kept the interest rates low in the middle of the artificial uh, recession created by COVID because they did it. It's the biggest overreaction by government worldwide in the history of mankind. No matter what you think about jabs in the arm, face masks, anything like that, no matter what you think about that, you have to realize at this point, shutting down the global economy probably was the wrong idea. So they did that kept the interest rate stupid low during that. Then they sent money to people where the, the person with a couple kids ended up with ten to $15,000 that they wouldn't have had without the stimmy checks, right, all added up. Now, the other thing is a lot of these people, they threw that money in the economy under the auspices of so many people lose their job. Many people, most people did lose their jobs. They worked from home, what have you. And so... They got all this extra money and they still had their income. And then a lot of them were told, hey, you know what? 
we don't want you killing your fellow man by breathing on them. So work from home and Zoom stock sword and all of that. And all of a sudden, all these people are working from home and big companies like Pinterest, right, said, you know what? It's going to cost us tens of millions of dollars to abandon our lease on this giant office building. But our accountants said that you're, we're still better off. Leave everybody work at home and walk the lease. And they did. And like this happened all over the place. So all of a sudden, you had all these people with all this extra money burning a hole in their pocket in the middle of a scandemic. And they're like, well, what do I do with it? And they're like, well, why do I live in one of these shithole cities and pay an exorbitant amount of money for a closet that they call an apartment when we could move out in burbs or a little bit further out or in the country? And for, you know, whatever amount of money I can buy, like a big ass house. Kids can play in the street without getting run over or spit on or whatever. And so mass migration occurred. And mass migration went into all these markets that were fair value markets. And what I mean is when you bought a house in these markets, you pretty much were paying probably about what the properties were worth, but it artificially inflated it. And you can understand how that works. When there's more buyers than properties, the price of real estate goes up. And when the price of money is cheap, the price of real estate goes up. And when more buyers have money in their pocket to make that down payment or cover the cost of a move, then the price goes up. So the price goes up. On top of it, there was no mitigation on the inventory like you would normally have in a recession. Now, what do I mean by that? In a normal recession, people can't pay their rent. So they leave their home because, well, they get thrown the hell out. Yeah. Well, what happened during covid the government and in its infinite wisdom said, well, we can't have a, a, a deadly pandemic with people living on the streets like they actually cared about you. So they said to the landlords, thou shalt not evict. And that stayed in place for a very long period of time. This kept a lot of people in housing that they would have otherwise left, which also artificially accelerated the rates. And then what happened? Then inflation kicked in and it kicked in hard. Now, people were talking about hyperinflation, hyperinflation. And I was like, no, there will not be hyperinflation. And we still don't have hyperinflation. And if you think we have hyperinflation, then you don't know the definition of hyperinflation. Look up hyper. I'm not going to give it to you. Right. I'm not going to do this one for you. If you want to know what hyperinflation is, there is a definition of it. And when I use a word, I use it according to its definition. And it is way worse than anything we've seen, period. Right. Um, we start looking at monthly inflation in the double digits compounding across a year when we talk hyperinflation. But it's still it's crippling inflation. I'll use that term. It's really taking people who were doing OK and made them barely get by. And it's made people who were barely getting by not get by or eat the cheapest hot dogs and rice that they can buy or what have you. And <laughs> you only can get one thing from this coming all together, and that is this, this runaway inflation. And then the Fed does the only other thing it can do. If the only thing it could do was give away money and cut rates to go one direction, then what do they do? They stop giving away money, to you anyway, and they raise rates. So all of a sudden, you go back to like, I'm going to say the interest rate's a little high right now on, on, a, on a mortgage in, in the upper sevens, almost 8%. But a 6.5% mortgage interest rate, if it was kind of flat, if that's what it always costs, the market would adapt 
and no one would have a problem with it. And the real estate market could function. It's a reasonable rate of return for banks that actually don't tender any money. I'm not going to get into that. But if you if you borrow money, they don't give you money. Your promise to repay creates new money. So under that circumstance, 6%-ish is a pretty reasonable interest rate to pay for the service a bank provides and the risk a bank takes. But when you do it and you've already jacked the market 40 to 60% in some markets higher than it should be, the only thing that can happen then is the available buyers go down. Now, if more available buyers make the price go up, less available buyers makes the price go down. And the average potential buyer, let's not talk about how many there are, but the person who wants to buy your home, between the beginning of the year and now, their purchasing power has dropped by 40% or more because the money costs them more. This means a person who could have bought, let's say, a $500,000 house can now buy like a $350,000 house. You see the problem. The prices of the houses that they were looking at were all up here, but they can't afford it anymore. And the only thing that has kept this from spiraling into a total shitstorm is that we have had very high employment. And because we've had high employment, in spite of all this, we've stayed relatively stable. So houses are not selling like they did a year ago or two years ago at all. But there's not a ton of houses sitting on the market trying to be sold. And the reason is people are trapped. You got that? They're trapped in their houses, but many of them don't feel trapped. They just know, like, well, if I sell right now, all I can do is buy a house for, for less than I sell this one for. The only way to effectively sell right now is geographic arbitrage. So if I can move from a very expensive market to a less expensive market, I might be able to make the calculus work, or I have a freaking shit ton of equity that I can harvest and I can make a much more serviceable debt in a house, even though it costs more, especially if I combine it with geographic arbitrage. And that works right up until what happens? People start losing their jobs. Lose your job, no stimulus money, and no eviction moratorium. Okay, now we have a problem. No payroll protection act or anything like that, which the Fed has no interest in incentivizing the government to do now because it wants a recession. You have to understand that. These people want a recession, period. They want to have four to six million of you lose your jobs. And they, they act like Frankenstein, right? Not the monster, the scientist. And they take, treat the economy like the monster. They think they can, like, kill the monster and bring it back to life and kill it and bring it back to life. And they can do this exceptionally well with, with precision. In spite of the history since 1913 that shows they screw it up every time. The only question is how bad and for how long. That's the place that we're headed to right now. And the Federal Reserve is losing money. Yep. Now, before you freak out and like, oh, God, they're losing money. It's not as bad as you might think. There's a chart that we can see our our chairman right there with this chart. This is how much money the Federal Reserve Makes or loses. You can see what here it went off. They're calling this a chart of doom, right? And all of a sudden, the Federal Reserve is in the red. And here's a better way to look at it right here for those that can see this. Um, 
This right here, whenever you see this blue line above the base right here, except for these two little points back here in 2012 where it briefly went below that line, this is the Federal Reserve sending money to the United States Treasury. We had a profit this year. We're a nonprofit institution, even though we're making money hand over fist on the other side of it by setting policy that benefits us, not you. But here's our profit this quarter, and they give it to the Treasury. Between 2012 and right about here, which is like the end of the COVID's bailouts, the Federal Reserve gave back to the United States Treasury across all of that time billions of dollars each payment, but it amounted to almost a trillion dollars. Now, as bad as the national debt is, without it, that's a trillion more dollars of debt that we would have without them stealing the money and paying it through the back door. What happened here is the Fed starts losing money. They don't care. They can print all the money to cover their own loss. They just make more. The difference is they keep it. They don't send it to the United States government, and they keep a record of it. So they can lose, let's say, a trillion dollars or half a trillion dollars or a quarter of a trillion dollars or three. Tr it doesn't matter. They'll just print it and they cover it. When they start making a profit again, they'll start deducting it off the ledger until they come to zero. So we'll have a period of time where they're losing money so they don't remit to the Treasury. Then we'll have a period of time where they're making money, but they keep it to cover the loss that was fake because they just printed money to cover it. And then when the books go back to par, they'll start remitting to the Treasury again. Now, you might think, why did he take this much time to explain something like that? What does this mean to me? It's important that you understand it. And I really recommend, I, I found this article by following somebody on uh, Twitter named Lynn Alden. Uh, she's very well known as an advocate for Bitcoin, but also just as a, a general macro financial analyst. And I have a link in the notes today where you can follow her. And this is what she basically drew from this. Actually, she pointed this all out. Then somebody posted the article in support of it. And then she came to this conclusion. Basically, what the banks are doing right now is they're remitting to themselves. They're pulling the money out of circulation and flooding it back into their own pockets on the opposite side of the Federal Reserve. So we're the Federal Reserve and we're losing money, but we still have to pay our debts will print your money, i.e. inflation, to pay our debts. And the people we're paying to it are the member banks that make up us. You see the scam. So what that means is the banks are being fortified to get through this recession with your wealth by stealing the value of your money and pushing it back to them. And again, what do they really want to do? They want to cost four to six million Americans their jobs. And they think they can do this with precision. That they can literally say, and there's three and a half. Dial it back a bit. All right, four. Okay, kill it. Okay, it's going to trickle up, trickle up, like, like carry over heat when you bring a roast out of the oven. And you bring it out at like 140 but you leave the thermometer and it goes up to like 145, 146 and it starts coming down. Like they think they can do this, even though they failed every time they've tried to get it right. And it could go as high as 6 million, but that's okay. Because in their fucked up minds, what will happen is since people won't have jobs, they'll be forced to take shittier jobs that we can't fill right now. So they're not looking to cost a busboy his job. 
They're not looking to cost uh, a waitress their job. They're not looking to cost someone that sweeps the floor in a, in a, in a shithole factory their job. They want to they wanna take people who think that kind of work is too good for them, but they're not quite good enough to be like, you know, one of the people that's in the Fed or a high-level banker or whatever, like tech workers and stuff like that. And they want to they want to destroy their lives for the greater good of the other 300 plus million people and move them into lower sectors of work and kind of reboot everything because, gee, things got out of hand with no acceptance of, hey, us, along with the, 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 the clown circus of D.C., caused all this shit to happen in the first place. So that's their goal. And how how re- how real is that? Well, I've been telling you that companies are planning layoffs. And what I have on the screen right now, all I did was go to Brave Search, type in layoffs, and hit news. I'll read a few of the headlines for you. Seven hours ago, layoffs are not necessarily cause for broader economic alarm. It'll be okay. There's a lot of this shit going on there. Yeah. If you were around in 08, 09, 07, didn't you hear the talking head say, oh, it's fine. Just keep DCAing and blah, blah, blah. Right. Okay. Tech layoffs. Micron will lay off 10% of staff due to low demand for chips. Chip demand is huge right now, but not their chips, right? That's something else you got to understand about the chip thing, right? It's not going to fix the supply chain anytime soon. Chips come in quality grades, and the chips that are in shortage are the best chips. And even the factories that make the best chips, only a percentage of the chips they make are the best chips. Because you, you bake computer chips, silicon chips. You bake them. And when they come out, you test them, and you'll get maybe 10 to 20% that are the best. That's in the short supply. If you can't sell your shitty ones, it's very hard to make that many to get your best ones. As layoffs mount, nervous Gen Z grads rethink big tech jobs. That's exactly what they want. They want you to go out there and shovel shit because people don't want to do it. Forecast, mass tech layoffs are likely to continue in 2023. Goldman Sachs CEO says layoffs are coming in January. That's not Goldman forecasting layoffs for other companies. That's Goldman saying Goldman Sachs is fixing to lay off a shit ton of their employees. Um what the mass tech layoffs and jobs cut this year mean for 2023. This is all I do is put in layoffs, guys. This is coming. And it was actually quite a while ago. I told you that almost every Fortune 500 company had already said in early fall last year, we plan on layoffs in 2023. So one thing you have to understand, none of this happens in a vacuum. When you are a CEO or a bigwig in one of these like Fortune 500 companies, okay, when, when you're that person, there's a backdoor of communications from people like the federal. Like this is what we're planning to do. You guys need to be ready for it, right? Like because they think that makes it better. You can destroy people's lives to fix a problem you created that you have no capability of fixing, but you're mitigating it by telling the companies that you're going to do it kind of like, like we're going to bomb a country, but one of our diplomats actually tells them, Hey, you guys did some shit that we have to do some shit because of, but maybe you shouldn't have any of your key people in this area on Friday at noon. Like we actually do shit like this. It happens. And, and it, 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 it's done probably more than you think. So they're coming. And what does it mean for you? If you're not prepared, first of all, 
if you don't have much of a financial battery, you don't have savings, investments, something you can rely on, emergency funds. One thing you need to understand, no matter what job you have, your job's at risk. But Jack, I run one of you know I do one of the dirty jobs Micro talks about, you know, and and so I, I'm not that much in danger of losing my job. If you work for government, at least for the meantime, you're 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 probably not definitely, but probably right, especially if you have some seniority. However, what you have to understand is the trickle effect. So here's an example. There's a shitload of restaurants, small family restaurants that went out of business here and across the country during COVID. And most of them relied on like lunch sales, even if they were more of a dinner place, because people worked around them and then went out to eat. So even though people like tried to help by doing takeout orders and stuff like that during this shutdown, right? If they lost, you know, you got to understand about restaurants. If they lose 10% of their regular business, they're probably, and they were profitable. They're probably not profitable anymore. And if they lose 15% of their business, they go out of business. Now, every time somebody loses a job, and even if they get unemployment or whatever, they have less money to spend. So whoever they were a customer of takes a hit. And it's a chain cascading reaction. So don't think that any job is safe. I'll tell you right now, don't think any job is safe. And if you're if you are in a place that ends up being safe, you're blessed. But consider your job at risk, at least at risk. And you have to do your own analysis. How at risk is that? And what are the consequences if I lost my job? Um, Next, you may be trapped in your current home for some time. Now, right when all this shit, I was already saying to get I've been saying get out of the cities and getting out of the flashpoint cities for a long time. But when when the covid hit. And when the BLM riots happened and they just let this stuff go crazy, what did I say? And how many times did I say it? Get out, get out, get out, get out. And now you see why. And I said then why, but a lot of people just didn't believe me. I'm like, what's going to happen is the desirable properties in these areas that are still close enough to have services and amenities and stuff are going to get gobbled up while all this cheap money is available. And then nobody's going to want to sell or nobody's going to be able to sell those properties and people are going to be trapped. And you can be in a good place to be trapped or you can be in a bad place to be trapped. And I would prefer to be trapped in a place I want to be. So there's a very high probability that unless you have a lot of equity or a lot of money, you ain't moving anytime soon. And to me, that means if you still have the opportunity to do it in a way that makes sense without fucking everything else up in your life, you better take it now because... We're going to be in a different world by summer. And I'm not saying you have that long. I'm saying that's the, the outset because we haven't had what I'm going to call the, the moment yet. We'll talk about that in a bit. So you, you may be trapped. And if, if you don't want to be trapped, it's kind of like last call for alcohol, but it's not quarter till it's five till. And, and the waitress is busy and you may not get one. You better go to the bar yourself and you better have money to cover the tab. On the other side of it, if that makes sense, um, your investments and savings are at risk. Inflation will continue for quite a while, uh, even when the prices of certain things come down. Overall, core inflation, real inflation, inflation, not the number they give you. Remember, 
we switched from core inflation a long time ago to something called CPI or consumer price index. And we take things out of CPI that they consider too volatile, like, you know, cost of housing and fuel, which fuels the And then we play games with it, though we're running out of games to play. So originally it would be like, well, the cost of steak is. And, and then, you know, it was like, well, we'll go to a lower grade of steak and then we'll go to ground beef and we'll go to shitty ground beef. And I don't know what you're going to go next to half soy, half ground beef, whatever. Right. So they played games like that with it to keep it artificially low. But real inflation, right? If you go to shadowstats.com, you can see what real inflation is. This is going to remain high. And that, that means even money that you just have squirreled away is at some level of risk of being eroded by inflation. However, you've got to balance what I call having opportunity capital available and see some of that inflation is what you pay as a premium on an insurance policy to make sure you're able to capitalize when prices come down. So I have a fairly big position in cash right now so that I'll be able to capitalize on the other end of this. And I'd rather have the inflation eat that cash than be trapped in an investment that ends up losing value because I know what's not going to happen. Let's say I'm, I'm very wrong based on my track record. I'm way off here. Then your best case scenario is you have a flat economy with a little bit of down. That's what they want. They want to just kind of cap all this inflation, normalize everything, and then start the monster back up again. So the best thing you can hope for in the next year or two is not much growth, not much gain. So then why be at risk and why not have the liquidity so that you can take the opportunity? So think about that. Now, I'm not saying go dump all your stocks. When I said that back in 08, I had like a few thousand people listening to me at best. Now I've got a much broader audience and I think a lot more. And so I'm going to say you have to you have to balance like what are the tax implications? If you have a good investment manager, talk to them about it. But don't think that this isn't coming. I say this is a, a 90 percent probable serious recession worse than 08, 09, worse. 90 percent. That's where I'm at in my estimation. But you still have to think about the consequences of what you do. Um, what happens when economies are bad? Does criminal activity get worse or better? Right? It gets worse. Um, what happens when titty, cities lose tax bases to law enforcement? Does it get better or worse? When you've already basically shit on law enforcement coast to coast across the country, but specifically in the areas with the biggest problems, where cops now can do something to you but not something for you, do you think this will all make it better or worse? So we're going to have more rampant crime problems. We're going to have more. Something will happen, and all of a sudden we'll kick off a bunch of riots again, and all the social justice people will tell us it's it's warranted, it's okay, it's a it's riots of love, fiery, fiery but peaceful protests or whatever. It's going to happen. It's it it, it 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 that type of thing is going to happen. And again, that's why I say be careful where you choose to ride this out. I think that this is a little bit more of a, you know, Jack could be wrong type of thing here. Um, but I feel that we're going to continue to see the United States slide from its role of prominence in the world. I, I don't see any way around that other than. What could change that calculus is, well, who's going to be doing better than us? 
China has. I always thought China was the rising tiger. Uh, China seeming more like a paper tiger. Russia has massive problems. Regardless of what happens with Crimea, not Crimea, I'm sorry, Ukraine. Um, Russia has a, a totally a problem no one's even talking about with a massive depopulation of kind of their best, their youngest, their brightest, their their energy. And it's not about how many were sent as cannon fodder to the, the battlefield. This has been going on. So Russia has got its problems. Brazil I, just doesn't have the horsepower. So who who's, who becomes this? Now, the real problem there is, and this is why you know I'm involved with things like Greater Reset, well, what about, you know, the crony capitalism, the the massive global socialism through things like the World Economic Forum? Power abhors a vacuum. So what you can see is this consolidation of a global conglomerate of oligarchs taking a lot of that power. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to have, you know, aircraft carriers and nuclear bombs like the United States does. But as far as influence, they already have way more influence than the average idiot will ever understand. But if you have the influence, if you have a global connected world like we do, and your leader has a decline in influence, it doesn't just go away. It moves somewhere else. So that's another issue. That's more of a macro issue to be aware of. But stocks will likely continue to decline for a time. Um, we haven't had the moment or the fall yet, in my opinion. People say, well, the, the market's gone down. It's gone down. It's gone up. It's gone down. It's gone up. It's overall down across the year. But here's what I mean a moment. And, and think about how far it is off its, its highs when I explain this to you. In 2008, we had a moment. We had a point where the government and the media admitted the problem existed and was real. If I remember right, it was in September of 08, which means I gave you about two months of warning on it. And poof, and it was the subprime mortgage crisis, right? No, oh, we gave mortgages to people that shouldn't have them. Oops, sorry. Sorry you lost your job. Sorry you lost your house. Sorry you're screwed. It's, it's not our fault, even though we did it. That was the moment. And then we had the fall. The fall, we had like a dead cat bounce and some stability and some talk, and we got through an election cycle and hope and change and hope and change. February, the Dow hit something like 7,000. Yeah, that was the fall. Moment precedes the fall. Now, could I have this wrong? Yes. We could have had a long, drawn-out moment. So all we're waiting on is the fall. That's possible. But we ain't had the fall yet. Go look at the S&P and the Dow. Between June of 2008, when all the talking heads on TV were still saying, yeah, the market's down some. That's just the sale price. Buy more, right? Into into the middle of, of, of winter and going into February. And you had talking heads like Susie Orman coming out and going, well, you're just going to work till you're 70 now. It's okay. Like, forget Mickey Mouse as a financial advisor, right? They, it, they turned that fast in the way they were talking about it. We haven't had that yet, and we don't get out of this without it. So we haven't had the fall definitely, and I don't think we've had the moments yet where people collectively go, oh, shit. The mitigation. 
there are more people saying, yeah, we're heading into a recession than there were in 07, 08. There's more awareness right now. There's more people like, yeah, but you know, the average person, they don't do anything. They don't actually do anything. So I, I think we still have a long way to go till we see how bad this is going to be. Good side. What does it look like if you're prepared? The whole world is going to go on sale again. Boy, I'm having camera problems today, but that seems to fix it. Um, back in 2008, before the moment, what I said was the whole world's about to go on sale. When COVID started, I said, as bad as this is, the whole world's about to go on sale. I went out and bought two cars when COVID started, right? One I ended up getting rid of. I had it on a lease really cheap. And then the other one is my Challenger. I just paid for it outright. So I have my, my, my Challenger is a car that I'm now being offered almost 10000 more by Dodge than I paid for it three years ago because the whole world went on sale. So if you have a solid cash position, or solid income that is not going to be affected by this. You're going to have more buying power on most things going forward. And yeah, I know the camera's blurry. Again, I'm doing what I can. I don't know why it wants to be all bitchy today. Maybe it's because I haven't used it in a while. I was feeling neglected. Um, so be prepared. Like have money available. The, the problem is... What do you want to buy and do you have the capital or do you need to get the capital? Because even if you have good credit, if you have good credit, lots of income, right? And you're in good shape right now. And you're like, hey, you know, how's like because housing hasn't actually come down yet. It stopped going up. But housing comes down. You're like, I want to I want to I want to buy a house now. If you have great credit right now, you're paying freaking Seven percent. I looked it up this morning uh, to be exact, but I think it's like seven point six percent. It seven point six. That's the going thirty year rate on a mortgage right now. So even if you're in the best shape possible, you still have a cost of capital if you have to borrow capital for it to happen. I don't know why that's happening, guys. Um, it doesn't mean you won't be hurt. No matter how prepared you are, it doesn't mean you're going to get out of this with no pain whatsoever. The, 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 the good side of this is that if you are prepared and you're smart about how you capitalize on this, you should end up better off than you started. The good should outweigh the bad if you're prepared. And again, that's about having flexibility, <clears throat> already being where you want to be, and being smart and being patient. Don't get impatient waiting for this decline. Again, go look because everybody thinks, oh, wait, September. Go look at February of the, the next year and go see what that looks like. Um, this is just a real brief thing on Bitcoin. Bitcoin is about to be tested like it never has before. If you go look at Bitcoin annually, you'll see that when it started out for three years, it went up for the year, up for the year, up for the year, down for the year. Up, 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 down, up, 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 down. And that's pretty much takes us all the way to now. And this year, Bitcoin was down for the year. And pretty much it's three years up, one year down, three years up, one year down. That doesn't mean the next year when it goes up, it goes back to its all-time high. It means that it's up from where it started beginning of the year. Bitcoin was born 
in a recession, but it's never gotten to the point where it's established and been through a recession before. So I'm not saying get out of Bitcoin because I'm not. I'm still stacking sats. I'm going to keep stacking sats. I think this is the greatest opportunity for wealth building that there is. You want to know more about that? Tune in tomorrow. My special guest will be John Bush from Live Free Academy. We'll be talking about Bitcoin and more tomorrow. So you can find out more about that tomorrow if you want to know. And if you don't want to know, you can not you can skip the Bitcoin breakout episode. Um, this will also be one of the best times in the history of the world to build a business. Businesses are built, whether they're small family businesses or giant corporations, mostly during times of disruption. And there's technological disruption, but there's also economic disruption. And when that comes together, and then at the same time, you have more power through technology than the average person's ever had. You have more access to information than the average person's ever had. Your grandfather, or if you're really young, your great-grandfather, would kick the shit out of most of you right now because you're wasting your opportunity. You know, my grandfather was a coal miner. He worked in horrible conditions as a Ukrainian immigrant to the United States, the coal region of Pennsylvania. He had lumps of coal in his arms from a mine collapse. He had black lung. I, I remember still today sitting with him on the porch and every once in a while he'd cough really bad and take a handkerchief. And when he pulled it away, black goo would come out of his lungs. He killed himself to provide for his family. In the, you know, then by the time he came back from World War II, he mined coal for a while, a bit more. He was served in World War II. And then he transitioned over to being a, uh, a carpenter. And he still killed himself right up to the end because he was so, so damaged by his time as a miner. And so he was still working up until the 70s. And there was nothing that was close to the opportunity that we all have today, including things that are get by things like driving for Uber Eats or Grubhub or doing the Uber thing or something like that, or all of these other gig economy, like none of that stuff existed. The seventies were like where he ended his career were hard. Uh, they built a couple schools in his area and that got him employed as a carpenter. Without that, he would have really not had much of an end to his career before he finally retired. I, th I, I like to think he'd be proud of me, but I know that, if he was around today, he would be yelling about the lack of an understanding of opportunity. If, if he was capable of adapting technologically to understand the opportunity we have today. And so you're going to have to work really hard to build a business, but it's never been a better time. But there's no like people will people will say that as well, what business should I start? What sector should I go into? No sector is safe in something like this. It's more about being strategic in how and where you approach the what. So if I were to say real estate will be an opportunity in the middle of all this, you might think, okay, Jack, did you drink all the old fashions that you could make again and, and damage your brain or something? No, it could be. So when people lose their houses and houses get really cheap, there's a lot of opportunity in real estate. Now, if you go out and buy a bunch of rental properties right now, 
unless you're really particular about how, you're probably going to lose your ass in this, right? Maybe. Maybe. Because what happens when people have to live on less? They generally don't get a cardboard box and live on the street. Right. Some do. We have that happening all over in L.A. and San Francisco, et cetera. Border towns in Texas. That's more an immigrant thing. Um, but some do. But most people, they go down in housing. So if you have properties that are available for rent and they're especially not top end properties, they're kind of mid tier properties. That worked out well for people during the 08, 09 recession. They had plenty of people who had to get rid of their house or even walk away from it, couldn't buy a house and rent it. Not the approach I would take. But if you prepositioned yourself to, to come into things in the aftermath, and when people get foreclosed on, they destroy their houses. I've, I saw it in the, in the last recession. When I was looking for a house about 2010, Many of the houses you could tell had been seriously damaged by the people that were kicked out of them. Uh, people took appliances, ripped shit out of the walls. And so the houses were well undervalued and there was a lot of opportunity for people to do fix and flips or fix and rent. So how you approach the what is way more important than the what. You, you know, if you went into food production, super high-end, very expensive, artsy-fartsy, rich people food, you might think that would be bad. But a lot of the rich people are going to do really well during this, and that might be good if you can do it. There, There's always a way, but it's up to you to figure out how to do the what, where to do the what, and more importantly, patience, when to do the what. Remember the movie with Mel Gibson in it, the Freedom movie, right? What was it? Uh. God, it just slipped out of my head right now. Uh, somebody tell me here. I know you guys know what I'm talking about, where he was like the, the Scottish, you know, leader uh, in, in, in war. Uh, God, Braveheart. Yeah, Braveheart, right? So Braveheart, but when 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 they're coming, he's like, hold, hold, like, don't, you got to wait for the time to strike. That is absolutely where you're out with this, and – one person's time to strike with the way they want to capitalize, even if they live across the street from you, may be different than yours. Don't hold back so long that you miss the opportunity, but don't immediately jump in front of a truck. That's a good way to get run over. Um, you're really going to have to understand something else with business, too. So since capital is expensive, what you're selling needs to address that. So you either need to set up some form of financing for people if you're selling a, a high-dollar item. I, we've got it, guys. It's Braveheart. We know. I had a brain fart. Anyway, uh, you either have to set up some form of way for people to access capital that they wouldn't be able to do otherwise. If you're in real estate, maybe some form of owner financing. Or you have to be in a, in a place where people don't really use borrowed money or they use low-value borrowed money to do business with you. So there's a lot of businesses like that. There's when when you you know they talk about the uh, the the uh, the broken window fallacy. That it's actually good for the economy when there's damage because then you have to rebuild. But there is some truth to it. There is some truth to it. When there's a lot of damage, 
there's a lot of opportunity for restoration because people still need to eat. People still need a place to live. And so what you have to look at is balancing the needs and wants equation. And I've said this many times. You don't really want to try to start a small business based on needs. But when I say that, I mean needs alone. And what I mean is if you try to compete with big food head to head, I'm going to I'm going to make a box of cookies for less money than Nabisco. They will bash your brains into the ground and shit on you. So if you're going to be in that business, you have to figure out, well, what is it that people want that they can't get from big food? Because you only need a tiny piece of it. And you have to look at every sector that you would approach that way. How can I do a thing in a way that will attract customers based on they have to have this, but they also want it a certain way, and I can do a better job of giving them that than the giant corporations? And that's how every small business that's ever been really successful has been successful. Because why would I go to Joe's Garage versus Firestone? Think about that. So I need tires. I got Joe's Garage. I got Firestone. Most people do what? They go to Firestone. Why would somebody go to Joe's Garage? Joe sells used tires. They can't afford new ones. Joe's a buddy of a friend who's going to give them a deal. They trust Joe because Joe's an honest guy. Not every mechanic's a, a scam artist, right? Joe's right down the road. You know, Joe will Joe will let them make payments on their tires, maybe 50% down, right? Joe's cool is what John's saying, right? There, there, there's something, there's all these little shops like that that are successful. Joe will do work that the big guys won't. Joe always stands behind what he does with, he, humble mechanics says, I feel like I was summoned, right? Humble mechanic always stands behind his work and never questions giving a customer who has a refund coming a refund. Who knows, right? Who knows? Joe is active in the community and supports things that no big corporation cares about. Joe hires youth off the streets, gives them a skill and puts them to work. I don't know. It's but see, then somebody's like, well, I want to do this thing. You know, I talked about restaurants during the COVID. So there's a restaurant. Right next to the reason I even know it's there is it's right next to an amazing fish store because I'm a fish enthusiast, like tropical fish. And it's called Tommy's Hamburgers. Great beef, Nolan Ryan grass fed beef, wonderful little place. The actual Tommy's, there were four locations. One of them did go out of business, three are still with us. And it is a fantastic place to grab a burger. COVID's hit, and I was worried that they would not survive because they're a small location. And I talked to the people that run that operation. And what they said is Lockheed kept us in business because Lockheed did not get shut down. There's a Lockheed and an air base right just a stone's throw from this area. And it's like in, in a parking lot of an old, decrepit, falling apart. Nobody really goes there anymore shopping mall. But they're like a strip mall next to the big mall. And I'm like, well, that's great that they, you know, they said, no, you don't understand. There was a giant order from people at Lockheed every day. And like one group did it on Mondays and another group did it on Tuesdays and another group did it on Wednesdays. And they literally got together and said, like, the comms department will do our order on Monday and engineering will do our order on Tuesday. 
and they would send a few people over to pick everything up and did it all to go. And they specifically told them, we don't want you to disappear. We like being able to come here for our lunch break. We don't want you to go away. And Lockheed facilities, I used to be a contractor for a different facility about 20 miles from this location, generally have great big cafeterias. They, they make it where you, you, you could eat for less by staying put. That way you'll, you won't leave and you'll be more efficient in your work and it's a perk and what have you. They kind of run their cafeterias at cost. But they did this anyway because they made a conscious choice to support this business. Now, I'm not saying you can because this, this company has you know 40 years of goodwill. Right. They were an institution. So you can't do that overnight. But you have to think that way. How do I become something that my customer says I don't want them to go away? How do how do I earn some special place? How do I find something that they want within something that they need? Because people cut needs before they cut wants. It's a very important business principle to understand. And what I mean by that is a person who will go out and reshop cell phone plans will still buy a concert ticket two weeks later to a show they really can't afford to go to. But I, I've been waiting for this person to come back on tour and they'll put it on a credit card. And that psychology may not be the best thing for people, but it's real. It's real. It's real. And it's why you're better off selling to you, you sell the need, but sell to the want. And you need to think about that if you're going to build a business during this. Again, capital is going to be expensive, not just for your customer, but for you if you need to borrow it. There's no big programs coming out anytime soon to make it cheap to take a small business loan because the total plan is to get people laid off. So this is inverse thinking. One of the Fed's mandates is full employment. And now they're absolutely going against their own mandate. There's too much employment. Too many people are employed. So there's not going to be a lot of like new SBA loan programs for capital intensive business. So you're either going to take private capital that's interested in making a thing happen and taking a piece of it, or you're going to have to come up with a low capital business, or you're going to have to have the money. You're going to have to have the money to do it without having to go outside and borrow capital. And it is idiotic thinking. Uh, Michelle's saying right now it's idiotic thinking, but this is, these people are psychopaths. This is the way like to think about this and really understanding what's going on. Politics is a system set up by psychopaths, run by sociopaths, and played by idiots. Let me say that again. Politics, because the Federal Reserve is private, but it's part of the political machine. And it's more the designer than the participant, right? So politics is a game designed by psychopaths, run by sociopaths, and played by idiots. And that means that when you accept and you think that they're going to fix it for you, help, like you're, you're trusting the arsonist to put the fire out. It just doesn't work. And I think that's probably one of my more quotable moments. Politics is a game created by psychopaths, run by sociopaths, and played by idiots. And when I say played, I mean you believe that it's going to benefit you. Did, did anything I said that they're doing today, by the way, all of which you can verify, sound like it's actually being done to benefit you or the people as a whole. The whole thing that I started out with, 
guys. With basically the Federal Reserve is paying remittances to banks, its own debts back to the banking system, which is itself with printed money means they're inflating the currency, taking value from your money to pay themselves and saying, look at us. We're good guys. We're not we're not we're not keeping the money. We're, we're just paying our bills. It's not going to fix it for you. You're going to fix it for yourself right here. Aaron says, I'm getting ready to launch my hip camp. Do you think that is one of those wants I can cater to? I think absolutely. And if you're going to do a hip camp, Aaron, I already know you have some property. It's a low capital business. It's low risk. Let's say that you only get half of the people that you think you're going to get. If you're smart with your capital, you still have income you otherwise would not. And we're going to get to that outside of economics here in a second, but it's capitalizing on what you have. There's so many people you're chasing something that you're never going to catch. Or sometimes you might even be able to catch the thing you're chasing, but at the expense of that which you already have. It's much easier to improve something. It's much easier to monetize a thing you have than to go out and make something new so that you can monetize it. Hip Camp is probably one of the best businesses that you can possibly start up assuming that you have some property that you have anyway, or you want the property anyway, you're going to buy the property anyway, you're going to live on the property anyway, but now you're going to do a hip camp or some form of Airbnb or guys, I'll tell you what, one thing that, that I learned about, and I know he's here somewhere from scrambling, uh, Brian of food forest farms coffee is the, the Airbnb experiences. Like he does a thing where not only can you stay, but I think you don't you could stay or you don't have to stay, but you can basically go into his business and learn how to roast coffee. I looked at some around here. There's people that are professional chefs. I mean, like they're they're like executive chefs of high end restaurants, but they'll do a thing like they'll have a guest house next to their house and they'll add an experience to it where you you stay in the house. But for a couple hours, you go into their kitchen, which, you know, is badass, and they teach you to cook something. Like, think of how low risk that is. That's incredibly low risk. Aaron says he's sitting on 30 acres. I was going to launch one, but some investment could launch multiple. Launch one. Get cash flow, then do another one. Then get cash flow, then do another one. Right? And that way, if you decide, you know what? I thought I would like this, but I hate this. Then you've only invested in the one or the two or the three, and they've been pay-go. Right? Or do a couple out of pocket. Hip camp's low cost. Do like two sites. See if you can market it. See if you can get it to work. Learn the business because the business isn't I have a glamping site. The business is come use my glamping site, not the other guy's glamping site. And then that way, if you can't do it or you just decide I don't want people on my property, I think this is a bad idea, then you can just do something else. Where if you go borrow somebody, you get a partner, now you're vested into it, now you're trapped. That, that's my view. I would be at least give it a trial. And here's this is why I love Nicole Sauce, right, who I will be on live with tomorrow at 930 uh, with her and John Willis. Fucking A, just start, right? That, that's the advice she's going to give you. That's the advice I'm going to Just do it. Go set up one. Go out, I don't know, build a deck and throw a wall tent on it. Take some pictures. Learn to market the product. Get some reviews. See if you liked it. See if you enjoy, You thought, you know, let's say it doesn't make enough money 
but you've learned the process and you're like, you know what? Now I can sit down with a spreadsheet and I can scale. Right. Put in one, put in two, then scale. Then think about amenities. Once you get two, three, four, start thinking about some things you can do to make it even more attractive. Learn how to market that and build that out over time. And then the worst the, the worst outcome is you improve the value of your property that you already had and you're not you're not deeply vested into somebody else's pockets where now you feel like, you know, Jack gave me a hundred grand. I spent it. I don't have it to give it back to him. So now I have to run this cash flow to service the debt. There's so many people get in that trap with businesses. Be, be seriously careful with, with that approach. Um, let's move. One more thing I want to say. Stocks will likely be exceptional investments. Remember I talked about the moment and the fall once those occur. There's some things that look pretty attractive right now, but I don't think they're done going down just yet. Right. So I would have a significant cash position right now from the economic side. Moving outside of it. This is the time. And I'm not talking about a New Year's resolution. I'm talking about the reality of what we're about to go through. Get fucking healthy. I know some of you guys are fat asses, fatter than I used to be. Fix it. You can't afford all this shit to go sideways because we don't know how long this is going to last. This could last two years. It could last 10. The Great Depression, even when they talked about recovery, do you know that stock market crashed in 1929, the height? I think it was 1962 before that number came back. Say it's only 25% that bad. You start figuring shit out real fast, right? And at the time, we had real money that was still mostly backed by gold. Health care was cheap, okay? Health care was cheap. Doctors make good money, but... It's not the money doesn't go to doctors now. It goes to all of this administrative bullshit. You can't afford to be unhealthy and sick in a time like this. So if you've been saying one day I'm going to no, do it now. And I know I sound like a broken record with this. Eat meat, throw away the starches. If you want to do it another way, you should have done it already. You want guaranteed results? Go as close to carnivore as you can. And stay away from like the keto cheese balls and shit like that. All all the stuff that people uh, try to immediately make like a, a substitute for bread. Eat meat and vegetables. And when I say vegetables, I don't mean potatoes. I mean lettuce. I mean broccoli. Right? Ken Berry says you can trust broccoli. Right? Do it. Nicole says we are launching Carnivore January in our various networks. Tune in tomorrow. Nicole and I will talk about that. But get healthy. You don't have any more time to screw with this. Every day that you're living severely overweight, lacking energy, etc., abusing your body by drinking too much booze, using too much drugs, whatever it is, and I'm for recreational use of everything. I'm for prohibition of nothing. But every day you're damaging your body, you're shorting your life, and you're devaluing what you can do with what you have. It is time. It is past time. If you're healthy, get fucking healthier. Clear? All right. Now, become more economically efficient. And what I mean by that is not sitting down and making a new budget or whatever. That, that's always a good thing to do. But what I mean is just start thinking more about how you spend your money and how you spend your time and what you do with the resources that you have. If you're not where you want to be geographically, 
if you're you're a person that I said get out and you're like, I really want to get out, but I don't want to get out because I'm not really ready yet. If you can move anytime soon and go where you want to be without be very clear without economically destroying yourself, because that will do you no good. You'll just lose what you, you gained. Again, this is last call. The waitress is busy. It's five till and there's one guy ahead of you at the bar. Go do that. Go fix that thing now because the door will close hard when it closes. It's going to close very hard. And again, I, I can tell you this is coming. I can't tell you if it'll be a garden variety 18 month recession or something much worse. My gut is much, much, much worse. Okay. Much worse. John says, I overeat, abuse alcohol, smoke cigarettes, and occasionally use cannabis. Yeah, stop. And I don't mean 100%. I mean, stop. Stop overeating. Stop abusing alcohol. Stop smoking cigarettes, dude. There is no, you gain nothing. Do the math on a pack of cigarettes a day for five years. That should make you quit in of itself. Um, except that politics, again, is a game designed by sociopaths. Psychopaths run by sociopaths and designed for idiots. If you put one bit of effort into believing that there's a solution to all of this shit outside of yourself, you just wasted some of your dash. Don't do it. Get organized and really try to realize the assets that you already have. You know, I've talked to people like, well, what I'm going to do to produce more food is I'm going to expand my garden. That might be a good idea. But a lot of times, you know, you'll find out that that person's really not getting that much production from their existing garden. And maybe you would be better off installing irrigation in the garden you have. Now, that's that's a real thing and a metaphor. Where else can you can you take that approach? It is much easier. Like we were talking about with the hip camp, improve what you have, maximize what you have, because. There's so many people that's 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 their biggest problem. They don't realize the 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 amazing blessing that's sitting in their own backyard or sitting within their own business. Like people like I'm going to introduce a new product. Well, okay. well, maybe you can just sell more to your existing customers before you do that. Or maybe if you're going to sell more, sell a new product to your customers, you should figure out what they want. Before you you roll it out, instead of coming up with a product and then taking it to your customers and then having them go, yeah, you know, I know you put all this time and money and development into this thing, but we don't want it. And you you got to be careful with that because people will talk about buying a thing way more than they'll actually buy a thing. And sometimes people that have really successful businesses think I'll just drop this thing in, it'll sell. And sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't. Make sure you you're, you're doing something that's congruent with what you've always been doing. If you have people that come to you physically, brick and mortar location to buy a thing and that thing necessitates they buy another thing and you know that right now they're going to another place to buy it, adding that's probably a safe bet, right? That's I'll let everybody else beat up on John about quitting smoking in the the chat here. Um, Try to live like your grandparents. If you're young, your great grandparents, because I always say that you live like your grandparents and I realize like, I, I might be old enough to be your granddad, right? And your granddad may not be like me, right? I have grandkids of my own. They're they're probably younger than most of y'all, but, you know, even just one more generation out, right? Live like 
live like the people that were the hardened individuals that made it through Prohibition, then the Great Depression, and then fought the Second World War and came back and built the highway system. Live the way those people live. I, I guarantee you, my grandmother, if she went out to the mailbox and she had ever opened up an envelope and said, Grandma, you've been approved for a $50,000 credit card, she would have thrown that thing in the burn barrel and would have told her friends, whoever said that thing, don't ever do business with these people. They're stupid. They think I have money I don't have. So try to live like that in your soul. But you need to accept your place and time in history. So if we all try to live exactly like our grandparents, what are we going to do? Drive Model Ts? Never borrow money under any circumstances? Like, does that work for today? Are we going to ignore all the technology, all the innovation, all the opportunity that comes with this? All of the things that bless us for the time that we live in because I want to be just like my grandparents. I want to live with the mentality of my grandparents adapted to the 2020s, right? My grandparents' time was the 1920s and the 1930s and the 1940s. What's left of my time is the 2020s, the 2030s, the 2040s. God bless me, 2050s maybe, right? We all have a, a finite amount of time we to live in. This is a pretty great time to be alive in spite of all the things that I said can and will go wrong in, in the near future. Um, 2023, to sum this up, will be one of your best years or one of your worst. Or more probable is it will begin one of the best runs of your life or it will begin one of the worst. And I know I sound like some sort of uh, motivational speaker, a Tony Robbins type or something when I say this, but it will all depend on what you do. It will all depend on how you approach this. There will be people who are so far ahead as the base that they begin from that will be destroyed in the coming year or two or three. They will lose everything. People that have businesses that are thriving, that are successful, that have nice problems, that have low debt, that don't realize the value that they already have, and this will destroy them. And there will be people that right now you think, I don't know how that person survives on what they have at this point, and they will come out of this new millionaires. Now, what's the difference? If you say it's the, the advantage that one side has, then why do some of the people with the advantage lose? Most of these young kids that I pick on all the time, I say kids, I'm talking people in their 30s now, all these social justice morons and stuff, and LGBTQ, blah, 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 all these people, I pity them. Most of them are affluent, the children of affluent rich people. They have every advantage except they have no advantage because they don't have a clue what makes a person successful. And they immediately feel that somebody that is successful must be privileged rather than capitalized on opportunity and worked hard. And so they will sabotage themselves every step of the way so that they never become truly successful because they don't want to become that which they hate. You can't be that person. You have to think. You have to think that every day is a blessing in its opportunity to improve your position and the position of your family. And you're going to get kicked in the balls. 
you're going to get kicked in the balls. Something between now and summer, even if you're generally going in the right direction, is going to hit you. No one's getting this out of this without being punched in the face. And at that point, you're going to have a gut check. Do I go, oh, it's just the recession. It takes me back when I used to do, when I used to, like, I, I guess I hated myself. I used to do business consulting. And I would talk to a business owner. And if it was the middle of, like, a down period, they would say, well, until things pick up. And, and call me stupid for not taking their money. But at that point, I would go, I'm sorry. I can't help you or this business right now. And they would just be dumbfounded. They think it's some kind of sales technique or something. And they would be like, why? And I would say, because I care more about your success than you do. If you are paying me to tell you how to improve your business, but you're couching it as everything will be fine when things turn around, as though it's going to happen without your action, then what's going to happen is you're going to pay me a lot of money. I'm going to tell you what to do. You're going to do 10, 15% of it, if that. Then you're going to complain to me that what you did didn't work because you didn't holistically go at it. And by the way, I'm only putting you in, 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 the, in motion. You have to capitalize on it. And that is a great metaphor for the, how people think in society right now, especially people 20, 30 years old. And that doesn't mean if you're in that group that you think that way. It's just so many of the folks in that and it's not their fault. They were conditioned to believe this. This is what you have to understand about all this misery. It's all by design. How do you get to this place by accident or through the road to hell being paved with good intentions? You don't think they knew what they were doing when they, when they changed school curriculums, when they started teaching people to despise each other for the way that they looked or where they were born or what they did for a living or what they're, you know, like basically in the name of equity and equality, we have said that no one is equal. That, do, you, do you think that they're that stupid that they, the people at the top remember because politics is everywhere and everything. If it's paid for with public money, it's political. Even if you don't think that it is the school system is political. So it's designed by what psychopaths and run by sociopaths. Do you think the psychopaths that designed it didn't know what they were designing? Do, do you really? This is the world you live in. So it's it's not one of these like, I'm wonderful, I'm great, and people love me kind of motivational things. When I say it's all within you, it is wonderful and horrible that it's all on you. It's wonderful because you can. It's horrible because you're in a situation where either you do or you do not. Yes, I quoted Yoda. I didn't realize until I said it. I wasn't thinking about it from a Yoda standpoint. Right? I'm not talking about lifting your spaceship with a magical power. I'm talking about reality. You will make this moment in your life when you are tested. The beginning of the best years or you will fail to do so. And it will be the worst run that you have in your life. Okay, I'm going to do a few questions real quick and then wrap up because I need to. Jack, are you composting humans like the uh, like like NYS? I don't know. I saw the uh, I saw the article and somebody somewhere. New York, I guess. 
I, I think I tweeted it on Twitter, retweeted it from somebody else, has approved composting dead bodies. You know what I said about that? I think it was Clown World on Twitter that I followed, uh, put it up. I, I think it makes more sense than what we do right now. I'd rather my body go back to the earth and be in a, 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 a $10,000 coffin inside a $5,000 vault uh, occupying land that could be used for some productive purpose. I, that's, I guess, an individual choice, but I, I don't, I think that the way that humans traditionally dealt with the death, which was they either, this was a bad idea, by the way, there were some tribal societies that would just like kind of leave the body out for the animals to consume, but that kind of teaches animals to eat people. Uh, but most would just shallow grave bury and then let nature take its course. So it didn't make stink and it didn't cause problems, but your body returned to the earth. And I think that that makes a lot more sense in my opinion. No, my composting will not. We're going to be composting waste out of my duck coop along with some other uh, material streams that I have available. Uh, Christopher says, what's your prediction for the construction industry, large-scale housing and apartments? Down than probably up. I know it's not very specific, but I think that since it's going to get more expensive to build, there'll be less building. But in the end, you're going to have a lot of people that can't buy a house that will have no choice but to rent. We also have a massive population surge. And don't think that's not by design either. And you can think whatever you want about illegal immigration, migrants, whatever word they want to use. In the end, don't ever think they don't know what they're doing and what they're trying to accomplish by doing it. They're creating a population surge in this country. And you can think, you can say, well, it's going to be all socialist population surge. and They're trying and they're succeeding in creating a population surge in this country because more bodies equals more tax cattle to harvest. That's what they're doing. And so if you have a population surge, eventually markets will stabilize, even if they're not great. And there'll be a functioning economy of some sort because humans will do that. And if there's more bodies in that economy, then there's more room for economic growth. But what they think when they see economic growth is they get a, a bigger piece of the bigger pie. Uh, John said, would you live on the same property as your hip camp? And if so, how would you maintain your privacy? I think that's a personal decision. I would definitely, for my first ones, want to live on the same property so I could see what the hell's going on. Maintaining my privacy, I would have to have a big enough property, and I would put them away from my home, and I would also have maybe some boundaries. But that's something that I think, I bet there's telegram groups on how to run hit camp and, or other social media. Uh, Living Free in Tennessee, Nicole Sauce says, we are launching Carnivore January in our various networks. Again, Nicole, we'll talk about that more tomorrow. I appreciate you guys. And Nick Covey says, there are many things called virtual restaurants. That's a model where you set up a delivery only, Uber Eats and DoorDash, restarting, uh, re restarting using a website recipe and existing restaurants to fulfill your orders. So uh, that's an example of being highly creative. Uh, thanks to everyone. want to remind you again, if you came in late on the live stream or you're listening to the audio and you skipped ahead and missed some of the stuff, I am doing a composting workshop. Uh, we'll run from about 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. on the 14th, which is next Saturday. You can learn more at survivalpodcast.com. There's links to all the cool stuff I talked about today in the show notes below. And I also want to remind you guys, you can always help support this show by doing your online shopping starting at tspaz.com. And I want to show you something that's on sale uh, yet again. 
this this thing comes around back and forth, and it's it's not a super great generator, but it's a good generator, and it's a good backup generator. It's the kind of generator I would have a larger, more reliable generator, and I would have something like this as a backup to that first generator, and two is one, one is none. This is not the generator I own, but I own a generator of about this size, but it's made by WEN, and they make a pretty damn good inverter generator. It's a 2,000-watt inverter generator. It's on sale right now, 30% off. That's $249 shipped to your house for free off of Amazon. Uh, again, you can find that at the survivalpodcast.com and find all my recommendations at tspaz.com. And then last, I want to say thank you to you guys for last year. We just talked about the coming year. But I wasn't even tracking this. I didn't really even know this was happening. But many of you guys have started listening to me on Fountain.fm. And so Fountain published their kind of end-of-year thing, a couple different pieces of that uh, on their site. And they said, here's the top ten podcasts for the year in total support of Bitcoin, one through ten. The Survival Podcast was number seven out of all the podcasts on Fountain.fm in total Bitcoin spent supporting the show. Thank you. But there was something that was way more important to me, and I could have been number 20 in total dollars, Bitcoin, sats, however you want to measure that metric, that was way more important. We were the most supported podcast based on total number of followers. So when you just said this person boosted this podcast or streamed this podcast, that individual user counts as a one we were the most supported show on Fountain. You know, Adam Curry had like three shows in the top ten. Dude's got like a million listeners. You guys outnumbered. You outnumbered them. Thank you so much. I'll say something else about Fountain. If you've used Fountain and you're like, it kind of is buggy and all. Yeah, it was. They have a new build. It is so much better. It is so much better than it ever was. Um, I'll put it to you this way. When it comes to technology, I break shit. I break shit so much that I'm in a telegram group called Lightning for Liberty. It's a pretty small group. Uh, Renegade Butcher is, is, I think, the one who started it. And when Fountain asked me to be on their beta, I went into that group because there were some other people there. We talk, did a lot of talk about Fountain. And I said, yeah, I just got invited to their beta. And somebody in that group within seconds came back and said, Oh shit, Fountain gonna get broke, right? And I'm sure as recently as a few weeks ago, Oscar over there at Fountain was like, why the hell did we ask this guy to be in our beta group? Because I'm like, this is broke, this is broke, this is broke, this is broke. I can't withdraw from my wallet. What the hell's up with this? And they had a big new build and this new build that came out. My God, it just works. And it works so much better. So if you've if you've given Fountain a try, Fountain.fm, do it again. Follow the Survival Podcast there. Consider boosting the show or streaming some sats uh, or boost other podcasts, man. I, I think that like I, I don't think people realize what goes in to producing a podcast, especially people like me that are one guy that's been producing a podcast for almost 15 years. There's a lot of podcasters, they have another thing, and then they have a team, and they have editors and producers and all, and, and they, they do a much more high production value podcast, but they basically show up and do the podcast, and other people do all the peripherals. When you have a podcaster 
who works alone, whether it's me or anybody else, whether it's a small show or a big show, consider your podcaster that has a team around them. As you go to a restaurant and you have a waiter and they're the primary person that you interact with, somebody else cooks the food, somebody else pre-preps the food, a host shows you the table, a manager oversees the restaurant, things like that. When you have a podcaster who solely by themselves produces a show for you once a week, every other day, three days a week, five days a week like we do, that podcaster is your host, the restaurant manager, the waiter, the cook, the line cook, the freaking executive chef. They're everything. They're the chief bottle washer. They're the busboy. So when I tell you to go on a fountain, I'm not asking you just to support me. I'm saying support the other podcasts you listen to and love because, you know, I'm one of the top earners on Fountain, one of the top earners on Fountain. I, I, there's no way I could run my life off the income that I get on on that. It matters so much more than the money itself. Seeing the boost, seeing people that say, hey, I value what you do enough to voluntarily contribute in a V for V way. It's huge. And I, I have not been very good, especially since the workshop at like reading booths online and stuff. I'm going to try to start doing that. And I've been on Fountain to add some features. One thing I'd really like to, to be able to do is see over the last week, what are the top 20 booths or something like that? Like, because I can't read them all. It, it's not that I don't want to. It's like I, I physically can't. And that would be one way to be able to do that. Um, so anyway, guys, thank you. 2023 will be what you make of it. Make it amazing. Tomorrow, I've got some real cool stuff going on. I will be on my channel as well as John Willis's channel and Nicole Sauce's channel with our first Tuesday of the month coffee chat. So that'll be tomorrow. And then later in the day, I think 1230 is when I have it scheduled for. I'll be on with the Bitcoin breakout episode of the Survival Podcast. We're going to talk about Bitcoin. We're going to talk about the year that was, the year that's coming. I'll have John Bush with me as a guest host. And that just happened like 15 minutes before I got online. I was talking to John and I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. Remember to check out the Greater Reset 4 in Bastrop. You can find a link to that in the video notes below or the audio notes if you're not on the video feed. And uh, check that out. Come hang out with me, Doc Ken Berry, Zuby, John Bush, a bunch of other cool people. I'll catch you later. I had a great run with you today. Bringing you down. Are they gonna bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way You don't have to be another face in the crowd You don't have to live the way they tell you to Make your own way The others will follow Revolution